everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Dungeon Estate with Dateline. Is that a thing? A Dungeness crab? I think that's something. It is. Oh, it certainly is. I know things about things. This episode, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh, y'all. This episode is called Sex, Lies, and Murder. No Oxford comma. There goes your title. <laughs> Sorry. I had to say it. You love to do that as a title. I do sex, lies, and videotape. You do, but you love a sex, lies, and... Yeah, I do. So I just, yeah. I haven't done that one in a while because you made so much fun of me. I'm so sorry. Oh, I gave you a complex. I gave you sex, lies, and complex. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Not right. So uh, this, yeah, no Oxford comma. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I prefer an Oxford comma, but that's okay, Daitlin. You do you. I prefer a Cambridge comma, so it's cool. Let's go. (laughs) This episode, some of you guys did not realize, and some of you did. Those of you who are old school Patreons were right away like, this is Master Bob. This is from your Patreon. They saw it when they saw the preview. They knew right away. So we have already covered this story on our Patreon. If you want to listen to it, you have to join our Patreon. It's at the $10 level. So if you're at the $5 level, you have to go up a level. But you'll get to download all of those bonus episodes that are at the $10 level. And then you could go back down to the five. Whatever. It was from 2018. And so we were pretty new at podcasting. Oh, babes in the woods. Katie did the recap for it. Oof. And I was just listening to it. And she just still had this, like, unabashed love for Dennis. Even back then, you were like... You had this kinship to him always. I forgot. I do. He's my special. I know. He's your special. So this is a continuation of that story and new interviews and things like that. Same sex dungeon, new details. Oh, and... Is it a lot of new details? There are more new interviews, I would say. Okay. I felt that a little bit. In case you didn't get from the amount of times I've already said sex dungeon... This episode is not safe for work, not safe for children. It is not quite as rambunctious as our After Dark series, if you're listening to that on Double Date occurring now. On Fridays? On Fridays. A Double Date with Dateline After Dark. I have been tempted to drop them extremely late at night because of the content. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've been kind of pushing it. I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. But this is... Not a part of that series because that's an ID network. But yeah. this is Dateline After Dark. Yeah, this is for sure Dateline After Dark. Hey, keep bringing it. Dateline After Dark. Hey, Bob is on the line for his special friend, Rachel. He wants you to know you'll always be the subservient to his dominant. Oh, boy. I learned so many new terms. So this episode aired April 9th, 2021, season 29, episode 41, Dennis Murphy. Also, you might just think you've heard our recap of this because we mention Dennis in the Sex Dungeon a lot because this was when we started realizing Dateline gives him the most sexual episodes of all time to make us uber uncomfortable. Also, I realized... This might be the original start of Disco Dennis. I know you just coined Disco Dennis the other week, mm-hmm. but it's kind of Disco Dennis-y. It's full Disco Dennis, I was going to say. Dungeonous Disco Dennis. 
There is one specific point where he becomes, where he morphs into Disco Dennis. But yeah. Also, Bob has sideburns. So there you, that's all. There you go. So let's get started. We are in Detroit, the wealthy part of Detroit or outside Detroit, Gross Point Park, a tasteful enclave. Later on, Dennis says Tony. He says a Tony something. So put them together, you get Tony Enclave. We were so close, but we weren't there. Jane and Bob Bashira. They were a rich, perfect family, a huge home. We are in 2012. Two kids. Yes. Are they home? Where are the children? Okay, straight away. They're not in this episode. They're nary to be seen, and I don't blame them. Because if Master Bob was my father, I would be hiding too. Sorry, the only reason I'm saying it is because we're seeing like pictures of the family from the jump. Yeah. We know that there's, they're like the perfect family, right? Yeah. So one night, Jane doesn't make it home after work. Bob calls 911 to report her missing. The next morning, a tow truck driver finds a flashy Mercedes, not in Gross Point Park, but in Poor Person Alley, we'll call it. And they just keep talking about how it's a bad area. And that car did not belong there. We meet our hot cop detective on the scene, Mike Narduzzi, my my new boyfriend. I approve. Thank you. You do? Yeah, I like Mike Narduzzi. So rarely. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. I thought he was very handsome. Inside the car are Jane's belongings. And unfortunately, Jane is also found dead in the backseat. This was a heavy drug area. Why was this rich lady there? They can't figure it out. Police tell Bob he is distraught. He starts crying when he's talking to Dennis about it. He's interviewed throughout this whole thing. But it's all from that earlier dateline. Oh, did I say the earlier dateline that we covered on Patreon is called Secrets in the Suburbs. Secrets in the Suburbs. Bob is known as Big Bob around town. His license plate, vanity plate, says Big Bob. Nope. He was president of the Rotary Club. It means a lot to him. It would be a shame if something happened and he... Got kicked out of the club. Mark it off your bingo card. Big man around, big Bob around town. Big man on Rotary campus. Big man on campus, big Bob around town. He did a lot of charity work. Jane volunteered at the church. They were loved in the community. He was a landlord and owned a bunch of properties. She was a six-figure marketing executive. Now, there are two different reporters besides Mr. Dennis is Enough Murphy sitting down for this episode. We have dueling reporters. And we have been assigned the self-assigned task of judging who gives us better hot gossip on the case. Mm. So I'll be keeping a running tally. Oh, so, good. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. Did you enjoy one more than the other? I'm going to save my verdict until the end. Okay. Did you? No, I enjoyed them equally for different reasons. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I liked them. They were both very knowledgeable and yes like invested in the case and i like that yeah they reminded me of nate eaton in the lori vallow case yes very into it i love that yeah so please bring in big bob to talk to he has an alibi he says he was working outside one of his properties that has a bar inside of it so it's a building and he was working outside like in the alley area and then he would go into the bar and have a drink and then go outside and work some more and then he went home Bob said his marriage had no secrets. Bob, this is Dateline. What show do you think you're on? Hmm. It's not acceptable. Come up with some, even if there aren't any. He does say that his wife smokes some marijuana before she goes to bed. 
And so police are wondering, did she go to buy some marijuana? Is that what's happening? No. Bob says, I don't want to be a narc on my wife, but. Well, too late. Too late. You just did. Yeah. It's, it, the secret's out, Bob. Yeah. Jane had died by strangulation by hand. Someone had strangled her with their hands and she had a broken fingernail, which is sent out to the lab for DNA testing. Cute detective goes to verify Bob's alibi. So he goes to the owner of this bar, which is called Hardback Lounge. Hardback? That's what I thought. Hard luck lounge. Hard luck. Hardback sounds like it should be in the dungeon. Hard, hardback is something else. But yeah, it's it's a dungeon-esque, as you would say, uh, bar, but hard luck. Yeah. And it looks like it's fallen on some hard luck. I like it. It was an appropriate name. Mm-hmm. Bob was seen having a drink with a friend that night. So it seems like his alibi checks out. However, Bob had said he was also outside doing some work. And the owner is suspicious of that because he says Bob doesn't do work. He had people do work for him. So that's a little odd. He doesn't like Bob. It was that shade. That was, it was super shady. Yeah. yeah. The blonde reporter, his name is Hank Winchester, which what a great name for TV. Or being the dean of an Ivy League university, Hank Winchester. Yeah. He is getting calls from people all over the city who have seen Bob grieving his wife on the news. There he is on every channel. Bob is wiping away non-visible tears Mm. with a Kleenex. And people are recognizing him on the news and calling Hank Winchester. Some of them are neighbors of the building he owns where the hard luck lounges. And they say, well, we haven't really noticed anything weird except people coming and going into the basement dressed in all leather, carrying whips and wearing masks. But now that's it. Nothing much else to report, Hank. That's odd. I don't know what to say about this. This is a sex positive podcast. No, we are not kink shaming at all. But if you would prefer to keep your hobbies anonymous, let's put it this way. I feel like there should be a changing room. Inside. You bring up an interesting point and someone on Twitter brought up that exact same point. Right. Because they're not embarrassed. They're not embarrassed, but also they, it's like doing cosplay. You usually get dressed in the hotel room, then you go to the convention center in your cosplay. Yes. Again, the only reason I'm bringing this up is not to kink shame in any way, shape or form is because this was a, as we come to find out, a secret of someone's. So wouldn't you tell your guests, hey, Can you be a little inconspicuous when you're coming up to the door? There's lots of windows on the street. Do you see what I'm saying? Like if you're trying to keep a secret, your secret's out. If someone's walking down the street in full rubber attire with a whip. Yeah. No, it's it's never going to work. Have we given away too much? Master Bob has a sex dungeon, guys. So there we go. the, (laughs) The basement of the club is a BDSM sex dungeon, which Dennis has to spell out what it stands for. And we are all traumatized now. He does it in a great way. (laughs) He does. He's very like educational. Someone said it was like a professor teaching about these like horrible, bloody wars where it's like you can hear about beheadings and not be super traumatized because of the way he's just teaching it in a Mr. Rogers sort of way. He's doing it in a way that it's like, this is a thing. It's out there. And you're like, they quartered people in the town square. Oh, they quartered people in the town square. Okay, It's out there in the world. Be aware of it. This is what it means. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. 
So now everyone in the BDSM community is reach, still reaching out to Hank Winchester and saying, well, we we know Bob, but we don't know him as Big Bob from Gross Point Park. We know him as Master Bob. And this is when Dennis tells us he was a dom or dominant. And Dennis says, in the S&M business, which killed me. There's so many times where Dennis uses a phrase, the S&M business. Like, it's like he's saying the S&M hanky-panky. Yeah. <laughs> S&M hijinks going on. He is a dominant figure. And I'm just going to step right in and um, tell everyone that this would be a great time to pause the episode and go ahead and sign up for BetterHelp. Because we're approaching the part of the episode where our dear Dennis is exposed to things that his eyes filled with childlike wonder shouldn't be exposed to. It's going to be upsetting to all of us. <laughs> Contact your therapist now. BetterHelp can provide you with a licensed therapist in the privacy of your own home or sex dungeon as long as you get reception down there. I don't know. I hear Verizon is good. You can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, but you can also send a message to your counselor at any time. Like, you're about to hear Dennis use the word flogging, and you need a professional pep talk. That sounds right. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states, including Michigan, where they have beautiful lakes, harsh winters, and even stronger harnesses. BetterHelp has counselors specialized in all kinds of issues like depression, anxiety, sleeping problems, LGBTQ plus issues, marital issues like we are about to dive headfirst into in this episode. If you're struggling with something like this or even just general life problems that you could use help with, BetterHelp can help. It is easy. It's completely confidential, more than these parties. It is affordable. Contact them today. We want all of you to start living a happier life. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash dateline. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash dateline. Because you know what? What? We can all use a little better help. <laughs> We're whispering. Thank you, better help. Check them out, guys. In a dungeon, and the acoustics are very loud. Ooh. So we're whispering. No, I think that's the point of the dungeon. It's not loud. A sound it's deadening. Dank. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp. So Dennis says, "The real life Fifty Shades of Gross Point." There's your title, Dennis. What are you waiting for? Plus, it has the name of a town, and you know these Datelines love to have the name of a town or a street in their titles. Yeah. Oh, and I was listening to our first recording and I'm not going to bring that up very much, but I did want to say one thing that we, they left out of this was they lived on Middlesex Drive. So, <laughs> and we found that hilarious the first time around. Seems right. <laughs> Seems right. So Dennis says this real life Fifty Shades of Gross Point had become a steamy topic of conversation. I don't like the word steamy. I'm just going to say I don't like it, even if it's referring to a bowl of ramen. Hard pass on the steamy. Wasn't there a mixed steamy in that show you like? Yeah, I loved him, but did not like the name. I'm sorry, is he different than McDreamy? Yes. Oh, okay. Good to know. I thought they were the same person. No, different. Now I know. A woman who is going by the alias of Lynn with a wig and glasses and theatrical makeup to poorly or brilliantly disguise herself. I need to talks know. Talks to Dennis. At this point, I need to know. The reason 
we don't know is because we don't know what she actually looks like. So we can't tell if it's brilliant disguise or horrible disguise. I have a, she looks like a normal person. So Does she have a prosthetic on? In our old episode, and I said I wasn't going to say that, in our original episode, you said you thought she had a prosthetic nose on. I think she still does. And the only reason I'm saying that is because, well, no, it's difficult because her nose is completely matte. There's no shine on her nose whatsoever, which makes it different from the rest of her face. Now, it's possible that she is a heavy powderer of the nose. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would think that for television, you'd be powdering equally the entire face. So you think it's some sort of putty. So I think it's not real because it's not exuding oil like the rest of her face is because it's plastic. Yeah. So I think it's very good. I also don't know why they would say theatrical makeup without meaning that she has a prosthetic on. Yeah, you're right. It's a good point. It does seem like or a a wart because I remember my theatrical makeup kit always came with the wart kit. Oh, it always does. You know, they love putting a wart kit in there. Let me ask a question. Why would you go to the trouble of doing theatrical makeup, maybe a prosthetic, when you could just be in silhouette? It's a great point because the problem is, no matter how good your makeup is going to be, the people in your town that know you your neighbors, they're probably still going to recognize you. They know your voice. Your voice hasn't been altered. They know you. We see you walking. Yeah. They're going to know your stride unless you're really a good actress and have changed like your whole gait and everything. Kaiser Sose. I find that hard to believe. Yeah. No, it's a really good point. I don't know the answer. Maybe it's a brilliant disguise. She looks nothing like that. Maybe that's Samuel L. Jackson. And we don't know. It's just that good of a disguise. Wow. And she's that good at changing her voice. She didn't say any. She did not even mention snakes on a plane. So she's good. He's good, rather. (laughs) So Samuel, a.k.a. Lynn, tells Dennis she had a romp with Bob in the dungeon. Just a fun-filled romp. She was a single mom with a, quote, vanilla lifestyle who discovered the BDSM community later in life. Good for her, I say. Great. She says dungeon parties can be held in basements, warehouses, rental halls, garages, even suburban rec rooms, which will give all of you something fun to think about when you're driving around your town on your commute to work tomorrow. Good luck. You're going to see them everywhere. Also, prosthetic noses, (laughs) dungeons, but maybe. Yeah, Yeah, I think we'd be surprised at how many people wear prosthetic noses in day to day life. You think so? I think we'd be surprised by how few there are. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> that makes more sense. So this segment is what we'll call the education of Dennis Murphy because he is a curious cat. He is maybe planning one of these parties in the future. I don't want to speculate. Kimberly, he's a real reporter. He's getting to the nitty gritty of what of the topic. Yeah. He wants the details. He's asking the good questions. He says, so you're going to a dungeon party. Set the stage. How do you know you're not going to see John Wayne Gacy? Which is a gross point, Dennis. Good job. A great gross point. She says, Bob reached out to me on a BDSM website. And I thought, I've never been to a real dungeon. And I thought, this is my chance to knock one off my bucket sex list. So one afternoon, again, afternoon, daylight, neighbors, Seeing out their window, where are the children? So many questions. 
Oh, boy. She meets Master Bob, but it wasn't just him. He has a submissive sex companion with him, apparently all the time. This is when we see actual footage of the dungeon. There was a TV, which I was excited about. I thought, does it hook up to Roku? Can I watch The Office on it? But I would never sit on that bed because the fluids that are on that bed, it's sticky. Yeah. It's also just grungy. It's a gross, it's a gross, gross dungeon. Clean up your dungeon. When we see the dungeon, it looks like it hasn't been used in like a year. So I'm wondering when the footage from the dungeon happened because it's like, it's a lot dirtier than I would expect. I don't think it was that dirty. You know, on The Walking Dead, when they stumble into a town and go into like the general store and it's in disrepair, because it's been years, because it's been taken over by zombies, that's kind of the vibe this dungeon gave. Like it had not been used for much a time or they had forgotten to pay the cleaning lady to come in between dungeon parties. I honestly think that the dungeon looked like someone tried to make it look not like a dungeon. The dungeon looked to me like Master Bob sort of figured out that he was going to get discovered and went down there and pulled a bunch of stuff off the walls because when you see they're showing some things like some things can't be removed from the wall so anything that's on the wall hooks things like that that can't be removed or staying but he's got like kind of stuff piled up against them well i think some of that was it had been taken down already by maybe the i don't know no i think he took it down see do you understand what i'm saying because we're about to find out about like he was trying to erase that the dungeon ever existed. Like it's possible that the TV came in later. Oh, to make it look like, oh, it's just a man cave. This is my hangout pad. I hang out down here and sometimes I nap. And so I watch, you know, mm-hmm. pornography or whatever. He could make it anything. The but Super Bowl. I think that's maybe what we're looking at. Because there's just like leaves on the stairs, like a lot of trash. Yeah. Like maybe a Slurpee straw. And Weird. just because you're into BDSM does not mean you don't like things to be nice. And clean. I would think that place would be spick and span, to be honest. I would think so, too. I know I've heard of clubs that, well, like this is more like swingers clubs where they test people for, you know, STDs and stuff before. And they take that stuff very seriously. So maybe there's different levels. And this is like, you know, like a restaurant. And this this dungeon would have gotten a D for the chefs not washing their hands. I feel like we're seeing it in disarray and I feel like we're seeing it after someone has come through and been like I gotta make this look as normal as I can yeah but there's still chains and hooks on the walls yeah yeah so Lynn says she came in she saw the bed she saw a giant web looking device and Dennis says what what what? I've never heard him stutter before it killed me the web is surprising it is surprising she says it's like a giant spider web. And Dennis says, do I want to know? And I stepped in and actually appeared on the screen. I don't know if you saw me, but I appeared on the screen. I said, Dennis, I'm going to stop you. We don't want you to know. So we're just going to end this conversation right now. Unfortunately, Lynn doesn't get the hint and she starts to explain it to him. And then I screamed earmuffs, Dennis. And then I left. That was my appearance on Dateline. Okay. It was well done. It's on IMDb. They got down to business, Lynn and Master Bob. I'm sorry, are you not going to say what the web is for? You're just going to? 
What do you think it's for? Do I have to well, say? Well, no, she is? says. What does she say to Dennis? Doesn't she say it's a 360 degree experience or something like that? What is her line? She it's says cr- it's like a 360 degree web made of ropes. I think instead of the, what do you call the little silk strands? It's rope. Didn't, I'm sorry, but didn't she say it was a 360 degree experience? Did I make that up in my head? She said it was a 360 degree web, I thought. Oh, I messed it up. Okay. I thought it was like, to me, she was describing like like a a roller coaster. Yes. (laughs) And I was like, she, it's a 3D experience, Dennis. Maybe she didn't say that. You wear special glasses and the Ewoks come right at you. It's amazing. So she says that, you know, I got there, I went inside the dungeon and we just got right down to business. And Dennis says, well, how do you break the ice? Like, he's so curious. She says, oh, we just got our collars on and got started. Oh, no, the girl disrobed. The other girl disrobed. The other girl immediately disrobes the minute they get in there, which is probably something her and Master Bob had worked out to make this third girl comfortable. Oh, that's a good point. And then put her collar on. And she says to Dennis, I had my first flogging. And Dennis says, you say that so easily, Lynn. Your first flogging. Oh, my God, Dennis. He's hilarious. I do love when he lets his personality get in there a little bit on these kinkier episodes, even though I'd prefer him to be as far away from them as possible. And also, I agree with him. She does say it very matter-of-factly. Yeah. You're on national television. That makeup must be really good. You said you had a daughter. What's up with her? Does your child want to hear about this on TV? It's fine if you do it. That's your business. It's totally fine. Does your daughter want to hear about it on TV? Maybe the disguise is that good that even her child won't recognize her because it's Samuel Jackson. There we go. Okay. So Lynn actually never went back after this experience in the dungeon. She thought Bob was very arrogant and very dominant. Which I was like, well, girl, isn't that the whole point? That's the point. But I think this is one of those. How much of a d bag do you have to be as a dom that even the subservience were like, he's too dominant. I did not like him. So you must be really bad. Yeah, you're a piece of poop. He was too dom for as a dom. Maybe he did not follow the rules and the boundaries that they set forward that are so important in the community. Well, we get a little hint about that later. My thought is that the reason she says he's arrogant is because he does not follow rules that are set forth. And that's a big no-no. That's huge. That's what you agree to. Yeah. Did she know that there was going to be another person there or did the other woman just show up? That's what I wanted to ask Lynn. Like, were you thinking it was just you and him and then all of a sudden there was a third? That's a good point, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And I don't know if that matters, but I just feel like I don't know if it matters. I think she probably was once she realized what his attitude was like, she was probably glad there was another woman there. Definitely. But I think it is. And again, leads to that arrogance of like, no, I know better what you want. Right. Because so I'm going to go ahead and bring this other person, even though I didn't tell you or didn't ask Mm -hmm. you. It's my dungeon, my rules. It's my house. We can do what we want. It's our party. We can dance how we want. (laughs) That's why they're there. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is his dungeon, his rules. But there are rules within the rules in that community. So the detectives realize there's something much more conventional happening that might be behind the murder. Not the BDSM, but just a regular old affair. So it turns out his submissive sex partner, Rachel Gillette, is not just a submissive sex partner she's like his mistress 
So they met on a alternative dating website, alternative lifestyles website. She tells the detectives Bob and her weren't just partying together. They were dating for three years, which is not an affair. You're basically a polygamist. That's a really long time. He had even gone out of state to attend her daughter's wedding. And there's a photo of them dancing like they are at a 30-year high school reunion. He is arrogant. Yeah. There's a photo of them on the website. That's a real D-bag move. Yeah. Yeah. Detectives say their relationship was based on mutual obsession with each other. Rachel goes on the news with the brown-haired reporter whose name is Santia and Mike Santia. And so... He she says, I when I found out his wife was killed, I didn't know that he was still married. That was when I learned that I thought he had divorced her. So it's an okay interview. I still think the blonde reporter is winning Winchester. I think he's gotten more so far, but it's early on. Bob is called official person of interest in the case. But Bob's lawyer says there's this other guy you should look at. Bob's lawyer hands the police a letter from Bob and it names Joe Gens, who they think should be looked at. Yeah. Joe Gens is a massive man, like 6'6", really just huge person with a child's IQ. And he used to do odd jobs for Bob. They bring in Joe. Joe tells police, well, Bob asked me to kill his wife. And I said, no, but Bob got mad. He basically threatened me, like, if you don't kill her, I'll kill you. And Joe, is his, he's kind of all over the place. That sometimes he's yelling, and then sometimes he's whispering, like, Diana and Hawaiian Mike. Mm-hmm. I, I did it. It's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. It's unnerving a little bit. Yeah, it is. He says he went to their house. Bob let him into the garage. Then Jane came home and started arguing with Bob. And Bob said... Take care of it. And at this point, Joe mimes to the police. I was like, what? Bob was like, take care of it. He's like, oh, yeah, the murder. I forgot. So Bob takes out a gun and points it not at his wife, but at Joe. Basically, if you don't kill her right now, I will kill you. I guess he didn't want to shoot his wife because ballistics. So that's why he wanted Joe to do it. So... Joe was like, I have to kill her or he's going to shoot me. So he strangles Jane and Bob is screaming. Is it over yet? Is she out yet? And she's still alive. So Joe puts his boot on her neck and he heard it crack, which is the worst thing I've ever heard. Oh, my gosh. It's so horrible. They put her body in the car. Joe drives it to the alley and in the other in the bad part of town and leaves it there. And he tells the police Bob was supposed to pay him eight grand plus a caddy, a used caddy, which is. How did they get the car? How did Joe get back from the car? I don't know. Hitched? Well, he said he went to McDonald's. Walked? Maybe walked? I thought he said drive through. No, he we see him on camera going into the restaurant. He is, so he's just walking, walking around? Okay. All right. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I bet there's lots of people walking around there at night. Because they said there's lots of drug houses there and stuff. Right. Okay. So Bob was supposed to pay him eight grand and a Cadillac, a used Cadillac, which is very low. It's better than the one episode that was 10K and a bike. Because 10K and a bike equals less than 8K and a used Cadillac. Yes. Again, let's be clear. Bicycle. Right. We thought it was a motorcycle. 
It was a 10 speed. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was a mountain bike. (laughs) Police need to corroborate the story. They look at the phone records and they see hundreds of calls between Joe and Bob. The day before the murder, Bob called Joe 22 times. Bob had told Joe there was this big deadline. Joe doesn't know what it is, but there's this big deadline and Jane has to be gone by then. So they find out the deadline was one that was put on by girlfriend Rachel. She tells the brown-haired reporter that she had given him a deadline to stop living in the land of make-believe, all fairy tales and ball gags. She says, I need to see your divorce papers now. We Are we going to be together or not? Joe tells the police details about the car, where it was, what he left in it, where exactly everything was, and it all matches up perfectly. He says after he dumped the body, he went to McDonald's, and we see him on security footage. He tells the police he got rid of the boots he was wearing in one of those clothing donation bins and police go and find the boots and Jane's DNA is on the bottom of the boots. Also, the boots are covered in mud, filthy. And I was thinking, clean off your boots before you donate them. It's easy. It means so much to people. He just murdered someone. Speaking of donating dirty murder boots... I can think of a better way to donate. Katie, tell us about Bombas. They give back. Boy, do they ever. Do they give dirty murder boots? No, they give soft, incredible socks to people in the world who need them. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They've literally rethought every little detail of the socks we wear to make them way more comfortable. I wear my Bombas every day, every night, any second that they're clean. They're on my feet. They are my most favorite prized socks, and I will be wearing them until they fall apart. And by the way, I have had a few of these pairs for quite a while now. And with the amount of wear that I give them, no sign of a hole, no sign of even a stretch out. They are fantastic. They wash like a dream. These socks do so much more than keep feet cozy and do actually right now I'm moving into the lightweight sock. Because it's going warmer months. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be moving into the lightwear, which are just as comfortable as my comfy hiking socks. But Bombas gives back to the most vulnerable members of our community. For every pair of socks that you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 plus giving partners. That's incredible. That is so many socks. And the impact is more powerful now than ever. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes. It's a small comfort that's especially important right now. Mm Mm-hmm. So give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash date dateline. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash date dateline for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash date dateline. Bombas, 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 bombas. Try the lightweight. (laughs) I love when you do a little button at the end. They're real nice. They're the bombas. They really are the bombas.combas. Check them out, guys. So Joe has even more proof that proves that he did it. He has scratches on him that he shows the police and he says, there's your DNA. I feel like he's a little smarter than people give him credit for. 
It's hard to tell. We're not seeing his test scores or anything. I can't tell. I really can't tell. And then I have some outside information on him. Jury's out. The jury's out. So the DNA under Jane's fingernails does match to Joe. And this is where the brown-haired reporter pushes out front because Joe is at a court hearing for an unrelated manner and the brown-haired reporter is there reporting on it and they happen to arrest him for the murder at that moment. So he gets the whole thing on tape. Oh, yeah. Good for him. But the police still need to nab Bob. They need to get Bob on the for the crime. And Joe's story is also kind of bizarre. It is. Because he does like kind of, it's hard to see in the interrogation, but it seems like he's saying he pulled a gun on me and told me to do it, but she didn't see him. She didn't see Bob in the room, in the garage. It seems a little for lack of a better term, Brendan Dassey. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But not being led to as hard as Brendan Dassey. The, the funny thing is the questions that the detective Narduzzi, his questions were actually excellent because he's just asking what happened then? Where were you? Where was this person? It's very like by the book. Mm -hmm. Tell me exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. And I liked like, where was her purse? And he said, Bob put it in the car front seat or back seat and he goes front seat and they're like driver's side to passenger side you know like he they're not leading right they're not leading he seemed to ask the questions in the same tone of voice which is good but joe's a little all over the place joe to me seems like the epitome of an unreliable witness does that make sense yes absolutely bob tells dennis when the police called me a person of interest the media ruined my life Everyone seems to forget that I lost my wife and the kids lost their mother. Where are the children? There's a few other, I'm just going to say it. There are a few other podcasts that have covered this case. I have listened to multiple things on this case. The daughter has spoken out. Oh, okay. So there is like, she was standing by him and then back to like, there's a yeah. thing that happened. So mm -hmm. anyways. So he, Bob says Joe acted alone. At one point, Bob says Joe wanted $1,500 for a custody hearing that he was having with his daughter, because I guess Joe has a daughter. And Bob said no. And Joe might have been really mad about that. But he says, I did not hire him to do this. He said, if I wanted to harm someone, why would I hire a guy with a 68 IQ? And why would I have him do it in my own house? He says, I mean, I'm not a nefarious person, but I wouldn't hire an idiot. And I was like, that's rude, Master Bob. There is no need for name calling, sir. I said, good day. That's kind of his MO. That's mm -hmm. his. I think that's what he does. So I think that's an excellent defense. If we hadn't literally just covered a double date where a mom convinces a teenager to do her dirty work for her in the space of about four minutes. Mm -hmm. I think Bob thought he was going to use this as an excuse. He does make a good point about the house, though. Why would you have it done in your own garage? That's really dumb. Yeah, it is really dumb. He says, I never held a gun on Joe. I don't even own a gun. I'm a pacifist. Are you are you crazy, man? Did you give Lynn her first flogging or was that a different master, Bob? Okay. Police do look into if he has a gun and they can't find any paperwork or record that he owns a gun. More on that later. Dennis asks Bob, were there other women? And Bob says, yes, one other woman. And Dennis says, is this the one known as Rachel? <laughs> it's just so funny because that's her real name, Dennis. 
that is not an alias. You don't have to say it like that. I still love him, as do you, the one known as Katie. I do. I, I could not <laughs> love him more. Bob says, Jane knew about Rachel. We had an understanding. And Dennis says, is this what they called an open marriage in the 70s? <laughs> or today. Or any time. Or just in the still 2000s, now. Dennis. Still currently. People are still doing trying yeah. to do this. And maybe... 90% failure rate. <laughs> yeah. Right. On Dateline? 99.9. 99%. Yeah. Yeah. On HBO documentaries, it's like a 50-50 success rate. So. That we know of. I've only seen that one show. I would like updates. Yeah, yeah. We need updates. What's the longevity? But what's the longevity of most marriages that are what we would call a closed marriage? This is what I think their argument would be. Right? I'm sure it's better than we even think because they're probably not very out in public with their open marriages. So they're not being, they're not taking these polls. It's not like a Gallup poll or a census that actually, you know, says how, when people are legally divorced, this is an open marriage that they're not telling everyone about. So we don't know. They could be so successful and we just don't hear about it because they're not getting divorced and they don't talk about it. So it's happening all the time. Katie, I'm in one. No. I'm in one. <laughs> it's with Joshua Jackson and his current wife. It's a thrust. What's her name? I forgot, but she's beautiful. So Dennis says, okay, tell us about the Master Bob thing. And Bob says, it was a private part of my life. And people are thinking that it's this dark, horrible thing, but they don't know what was going on down there in the dungeon. I was like, so what? Did he call it a dungeon? No, he says, what was going on down there? And I was like, was it soft and sweet and romantic, Bob? Was it basically a Sarah McLaughlin song come to life? In the arms of the <laughs> angels. No, that's sad. So the brown-haired reporter says to us, the audience, you thought the Bob Bashera case was strange? Get ready. And at this point, I felt like he is blowing the blonde reporter out of the water. I barely remember what that guy looks like. We haven't seen him in ages. Oh, Whitaker. Is that his name? Winchester. Winchester. There we go. This brings us to a wild new chapter in the story. And it has to do with Steve Tobato who is the man who introduced Joe to Bob, and he owns an appliance store. Steve's Appliances, literally. Yeah, but it's appliances and something else. Can't remember what the other thing is. Electronics? Furniture. Appliances and furniture? It looks like one of those discount warehouse stores. Did it say Steve's Furniture? Maybe furniture and appliances? I feel like the sign said Steve's Furniture. No, it said two things. I swear. It was a twofer. And Bob would frequent him to furnish out his rentals with stuff. Oh, okay. So Steve tells the police, because they he says, I thought they, they think I was involved at the beginning. And I told them, he has this really thick accent that I'm not going to do. He said, if- Why? Okay, I'll try. I told them, if I had anything to do with it, you never would have found the body. No, that was really too subtle. That's right. It needs to have some kind of an accent. So I appreciate you doing something. That was it. <laughs> if I had anything to do with it, you never would have even found the body. Right. No, that's, I don't know if it's like that. Michiganders are going to be very upset with me. He sounded like he was from Boston. So that's fine. Yeah, he did sound a little Boston. Don't tell the police that you know a better way to have disposed of a body, by the way. You think they don't know that by looking at him? He acts 
like he wants to be a mobster so badly. Yeah. I don't know if he is, but he aspires to be that. So he says a few weeks after Joe was arrested for Jane's murder, Bob came to him and said, I need to have Joe taken care of, i.e. killed. Oh, boy. Because he's going to testify against and say I had something to do with this. Steve says he wanted me to reach out and touch him, which brings a whole new meaning to AT&T's old catchphrase. Remember those commercials? Reach out and touch someone. Yeah. Were they about this? Who's always a grandson calling his grandma, but maybe now he was trying to put a hit out on grandma. It was a totally different kind of thing. So police wire up Steve to record Bob. There's this special agent who arranges it. Dennis says to him, so you're the coach of this thing. Oh my God, Dennis. What are your last words before you send Steve out to play? Like this whole sports metaphor that came out of nowhere. Loved it. Loved it. I loved it. So the special agent says, I told Steve, just be yourself which is great life advice and not just for a sting operation. Steve and Bob, they meet again. Bob says, I'll find you 20 grand in cash if you can find someone to kill Joe in prison. So apparently Joe's life is worth 12 grand more than Jane's, his own wife's. That's sweet. Then Bob says, I hope you're not wearing a wire, dude. And Steve doesn't pee his pants like I would have. He says, get that out of here, man. Come on, man. You know me. You know me. Where'd you go, boo? Come back to me. Come back to me, boo. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Bob pats him down. You hear him patting down Steve. And Steve turns around and moons him and says, I, I told him, you see any wires over there? And thankfully, Bob sees nothing. That's clever. It's a well-hidden device. It's not a device. The shop is wired. No, they're outside. Right, but there isn't a device on his body. There's devices around them. Oh, okay. Like Bob just isn't looking around thinking that the store is wired, but the store is wired. Gotcha. Steve says he was channeling Robert De Niro and Goodfellas. He, like Kelly Clarkson, has been waiting his whole life for a moment like this. It was the part he was born to play. He was born to play it. His mom birthed him and said, one day you're going to wear a wire in your furniture electronics appliance shop and you will trick this man who is a master. I think that he has been looking in the mirror doing the you talking to me, you talking to me since he was like six. I could see it like a baby. I'm seeing like boss baby. Yeah, pretty much that movie with the baby who has like a cigar. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm picturing as baby. What's his name? Baby Mike. Steve. Baby Steve. I don't know why I keep wanting to call him Mike. Probably because I wrote Mike, even though I also wrote Steve's appliances. So that's good. Go ahead. So Bob pays Steve a few days later. And in this scenario, he's whispering again. He's whispering like Diana and a white Mike. He's like, Steve, Steve, man, can you do this? Yes or no? 80%? 90%? Will you go to the dance with me? Circle yes, no, or maybe. It's in my dungeon. It's very romantic down there. We play Sarah McLaughlin music. Why is he whispering? Because he thinks he's wired again, but you think wh- they can't pick up a whisper? Okay. Police finally arrest Bob. They charge him with solicitation to murder Joe. And he knows they have me on tape now. And so he confesses. He pleads guilty. He cries in court and apologizes to Joe. 
he never says why he wanted to kill Joe, which is kind of important. He gets seven years for this. Can I state something really obvious real quick? Absolutely. No one's killing Joe. Paint a picture of what Joe looks like. Joe will be the biggest guy in the prison yard. He looks to be like 6'5". He's like a mammoth hulk of a person with no neck, huge shoulders. His suit is like a size 52 chest. Also, they put him in a suit way too big for him. And I don't know who it was supposed to fit. The Incredible Hulk. Don't know. Andre the Giant. Something about his build and his possible rage problem would make me terrified to try to take him down. I mean, I skipped this part, but Steve said, I'll find someone to cut up glass and put it in his food in prison. That's right. That's how they were going to do it. So they wouldn't have to actually attack him. That's nasty mean. Yeah, it's mean. The blonde reporter is back now. I was very excited. I missed you. I did remember what you look like. Joe gets a plea deal, second degree murder with a lesser sentence if he testifies against Bob. Very important to remember. So now they're finally able to charge Bob with Jane's murder. He pleads not guilty, setting the stage for a roller coaster of a trial. Master Bob is now defendant Bob. Mm-hmm. And for this trial, brown haired reporter has moved on to another market, but is still following the case. Blonde reporter reports on it every day. So he's the new star. And this competition has been the real roller coaster, the real mystery of this episode, I feel like. This competition that I've created for no reason other than to entertain myself. Here's where I'm confused. Yeah. Like this episode needs anything extra. Like you normally only do this in episodes where you're feeling like the content isn't enough. So and you haven't done it in a long time. So I'm very surprised. Maybe because we have already done this case. It doesn't need it. I was just so surprised by two reporters. It's such a rarity. We, it's not. I feel like it is. Two television reporters? I think the rarity is how much we see them. They're more of a main interview than I would have expected. They're definitely narrating the story. They're telling us what's happening instead of a detective. But usually I feel like there's one. One who's been following the case since the beginning, not two. Aside from Nate Eaton and his ginger nephew, they're a team. They don't count. These guys are like from competing networks. Like who's going to get the better scoop? Where I'm going to watch from now on, more pay more closely attention to the reporters. See how many we get. I did not see any of this okay. hidden competition between either of them at all that you're seeing. I think there was in the newsroom because this was the biggest case yeah. in the world. In that town. So the judge is a sassy woman, Vonda Evans. A sassy woman? <laughs> Vonda Evans is a personal hero of mine <laughs> from now on moving forward. Okay, that's fair. She, I would like her to just be like my personal judge. Like, just judge me on decisions. Yeah. Like, do I need to do this? Absolutely not. Yeah. Sit down. Yeah. I need her to do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, you make a really important phone call and she'll be like, Katie, you could have done better on this. Next right. time, do this. I score you a seven out of ten. On salutation, you get a three. Salutation and closing line. I get, yeah. So she gives us our episode title, Sex, Lies, and Murder. Thank you, Vonda. Yep. Or Judge, I should say. This was funny. When Bob walks into the court, she says, looking good. Wow, Mr. Bashira, you're looking good today. I was like, don't encourage 
Master Bob's ego, Vonda. And I feel like she's just playing with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She talked through the whole trial. She talks through the whole trial. I love judges that talk through the trial. I was like, is this a, where is the lawyer? <laughs> because I feel like the lawyer should be objecting to the judge's questioning because the judge is asking the witnesses questions. I thought it was good. She's just trying to clarify. She's into it. So she's like, but at least, you know, she's paying attention. That is so true, because half the time these judges are asleep. 90% of the time. They're so bored. They're so bored. It's on the bingo cards. Judge looks bored. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution bring forth a parade of witnesses that tear down Bob's great reputation around town. A lot of S&M people. And one of the men is talking about BDSM. And the judge is like, what is that? It's kind of with this. It's a main part of this. whole. You don't. Okay. He's like, well, it's hard. It's hard to explain. And she's like, but what is it? Like, what is it? Like, does she want him to say what it stands for? Yeah. Because Dennis will tell you. Is Dennis Murphy there? I think she wanted to know if he knew. I don't know if he knew. The guy who does it. I feel like he knows. Why wouldn't you just say it? It stands for this. It's a community like there's like 10 things you could say. And he just could not think of any of those 10. I guarantee you, though, his the lawyers did not prep him for the judge interjecting and asking him questions. Yeah. Specific about his nighttime activities. Right. They were like, you're just going to look at me, man. We've prepped all these questions. It's going to be fine. And instead, the judge keeps jumping in like, I have a question. Let me ask you. What does it stand for? He looks like he wants to sink into the floor. He wants the floor to open and swallow. Yeah. He's, he's done. Mad props for all of these BDSM people for taking the stand. And, you know, they shouldn't be ashamed at all. No, except maybe that guy, because he did not do a good job. But people are trying to make them feel ashamed. Yeah. Who's trying to make him? He couldn't answer questions. Yeah. He's making himself feel ashamed. He was nervous. Katie, he's a submissive. Was he? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Well, we wouldn't know because he could not answer the questions. (laughs) Just by how nervous he was, I felt like he might be a submissive. I felt really bad for him. But maybe it's a whole different situation when you're in the dungeon. You get you have a character. Maybe you're playing a role. I think it switches. I don't know. And you switch. Yeah, maybe. The prosecution, I felt like, well, they are. They're trying to shame these people and shame Master Bob for his nighttime hobbies, guilty pleasures. And I say no. No, they shouldn't. But I, you know why they're doing it. I mean, they're smart. They're doing the thing that's going to get the biggest reaction from the jury, which is put that front and center. Put something salacious yes. front and center because it makes him look like he is a cheater, number one, right. with many women. Right. Which is the main issue or should be the main issue that he's having an affair, not that he's doing all this other stuff. But to an average jury, they're playing the card that they've got. Of course, of course. And this is their big, salacious, ooh, case candlelight card. But I won't let them shame me for my guilty pleasure, my hobby, my obsession, playing Best Fiends all the time. It's what I enjoy. And you know what, Katie? It's consensual. Good. I won't feel guilty. Best Fiends is a game that's free to download and endless fun. There's thousands of levels and new content. I love Best Fiends because it's a challenging puzzle and matching game that gives you that rush of adrenaline when you beat a level without a harness required. But you... 
also get into that relaxation zone where all my cares drift away and it's like I never had to hear Dennis say the word sex dungeon. I am now on level 1527, which is about 200 levels higher than I was last month. Come at me on Twitter and let me know what level you're on. We have a competition going. My favorite new member to the competition club is our friend Cindy's chicken. Oh, boy. Her chicken's name is Linda after our show and is also a replacement chicken for the Kimberly chicken that sadly was murdered. Maybe uh, by the Katie chicken. Uh-oh. Too soon to tell. There was no surveillance footage. Linda loves to peck at Cindy's iPad screen because she thinks she can eat the little things that you're matching. So Cindy put a video on Twitter and she's just pecking, pecking. And Cindy's just in the background laughing. It was absolutely hysterical. What level is she on, Cindy? Because she had me. That's a smart chicken. It's a smart chicken. (laughs) So be like Cindy's chicken and peck out boredom today. Come get obsessed with us with Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. It's fiendishly fun, but safe and consensual. I love it. (laughs) Check them out, guys. Thank you, Best Fiends. It helps me de-stress, seriously, after watching this episode. I played like 10 episodes. They put Rachel on the stand. Rachel says, I thought he was a widower. We were starting a new life together. I have a couple questions. Number one, how dare you? Number two, no, I'm just kidding. She did think he was a widower, but then at some point she found out that the wife was alive because she was saying, when did your divorce go through? Show me the divorce papers. So at the point where you realized he lied about having a dead wife, you were fine with that? Yeah, we've seen this before where like people... Oh, man, it's such a red flag, a lie like that. You got to kind of walk away after the first lie. Right, right. If it's a huge lie like that, that is super concerning. Yeah, Yeah. it's not good. She says they were buying a house together. Oh, my Lord. While Jane was still alive, they had a closing date on a house, a literal deadline. Remember, he had said there was a deadline. Jane has to be gone by this date. The closing date on the house is three days after Jane's murder. Well, guess he did it. Wow. They did not plan to live in this house alone, though. They wanted a third partner. He wants just more power and control. He's like the kind of guy that makes jokes about wanting a harem. He's that guy. That's not okay. No, he's definitely not the right person. No. He doesn't deserve one woman, let alone two women, three thrice women, more women. No. No. So Bob met this third woman, Janet, online. I am wasting all of my time online watching van life videos and Googling when are potato soft tacos coming back to Taco Bell. There is a whole world online out there that I am just ignorant to. Janet was going to be the third. So Bob travels again out of state Wow. Where are the children? Well, Jane is alive. Well, the children are with Jane. He says he's going on a business trip or something. He goes to Oregon to see her for the weekend to test the waters to see if she could be the third. This is two weeks before Jane's murder. They were intimate and she says the sex was too rough. And she said, no, I hard pass, Bob. 
I will not be your thruple. Again, how bad of a dom do you have to be? You must be really bad. You're not following the rules. You're doing some weird. You're just icky. I watched some of the trial footage of her and she's pretty great on the stand, actually. And she has a pretty good exchange with the judge. Oh, nice. She knows that it was a mistake, basically. Mm. And she's just kind of she's doing what anyone would do if they're just like, what, you know, she's having a hard time on the stand. Oh, like, what was I thinking? Yes. She's having a lot of remorse and she's being very clear about it. But I don't think she should feel remorse. I think she followed her instincts. No, you'll see. Okay. Maybe she shouldn't have been in the very beginning in that situation. She didn't do something very important. I see. Yes. Okay. So she hears Bob on the phone on this trip saying, I want it done before I get back. And this is around the time where Bob is calling Joe all the time. This is right before the murder. Bob's cell phone pings also prove that sometime during his alibi, he left the bar and went home. And remember, he had said he was there the whole night. Yeah. And then they show during the trial some of the Dateline footage from the very first Dateline to show things where Bob said something and he totally contradicted himself. The biggest one is Bob telling Dennis, I'm a pacifist. I don't own a gun. Sorry, we should be very clear. Bob is being interviewed in this episode. Yeah. We're getting a lot of footage of Bob. Old footage, but a lot of Bob and Dennis sharing like a room. I don't like the thought of them sharing airspace. And this was before COVID. It was not a remote interview. They are in the same room. I don't like it because I think Bob has a weird relationship with power. I think that Bob was probably trying to kind of one up Dennis the whole time. Yeah, but Dennis won't fall for it. No, Dennis is a class act. He's it's a class act and he's confident in himself. It's really hard to goad someone who's just being classy. It's really hard. If they're just calm and just asking questions, which is what Dennis does the best. That's the best way to get to them, too, is to not act like any. it's not bothering you at all what they're doing. And then keep asking extremely straightforward questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK, so they show the part where Bob says, I'm a pacifist. They don't own a gun. Bob's mother, turns out, had gone to Bob's safety deposit box and found a gun. Oh, my God. And she thought the best course of action is to give it to his attorney. Seems reasonable. I kind of can't believe she turned him in. She turned the gun in. She could have just hidden it or thrown it in a river. But she gives it to his defense attorney. Now, the defense attorney holds on to it for 14 months before turning it into investigators. And I'm not sure the legality behind that. So Joe is supposed to show up and testify. Supposed to. This is part of his deal. He's supposed to testify against Bob. That's how they got Bob. But when he comes into court, he just says, I'm sitting this one out. I'm not going to testify. And I was shocked. Like, can he do that? Not really. You had a deal with the prosecutors. No, and the judge lets him have it. You're just going to pass? You can't do that, buddy. But the prosecutors don't contest this because, as Dennis says, they think they have a strong enough case without him. That's not why they were terrified of what he would say because he is not a reliable witness. Right. And he would have to be cross-examined by Bob's lawyer, who's a tough cookie, Lillian Diallo. She's great, too. She would have torn him apart on the stand. 
and or maybe he would have lost his temper like he did in the interrogation and screamed. And then everyone would have seen we don't trust him. He's scary. And well, that seems to be the biggest thing with him. And in the all the outside information is that he has this hair trigger temper that's like well documented, Mm -hmm. which is part of he has some issues. And that's one of them. Mm -hmm. But it's a big problem. Yeah. And also his story is strange. So how is he going to hold up to scrutiny that well of little details? No, because his story keeps shifting around. It's not good. She's furious. She was going to annihilate him. Yeah, that's why the prosecution is like, yeah, that's okay. I know we have a deal, but it's okay. You don't have to testify. So her strategy is that the sexual behavior made for titillating headlines, but it doesn't make her client a murderer. She says, look, I have never ever heard of such things in my entire life. I've never heard of these things, but it doesn't make him a murderer. He had no motive to murder. Jane knew all about it. Jane knew about his kinky tastes, as Dennis calls them. Dennis, no. Wow. Kinky tastes. But apparently she knew about it. That's what the lawyer says. So why would he kill her? One of Jane's friends takes the stand and says Bob had gone to a key party and wanted Jane to go. And Jane had said, I don't want anything to do with the key party, but Bob can do whatever he wants. As long as I'm not there, it was kind of a like, just don't embarrass us and you can do what you want. And she would look the other way. So the defense lawyer, this is the best part. The defense lawyer says, listen, Bob was married and divorced before. He knows how to divorce you without killing you, which is my favorite new line. I would like to also talk to the first wife. I would love to talk to the first wife. A little bit. Yeah. What is her story? Yeah. The defense says that the police made a bunch of mistakes pointing out that it was my boyfriend, Mike Narduzzi's first homicide. I didn't like that. Hold my earrings, girl. I don't like it. No, but that's not fair because they haven't had a homicide in that area in 20 years. Exactly. The officers didn't pull some of Jane's clothing for evidence and they didn't pull the video footage from outside the lounge where Bob said he was. And that's pretty big that they should have done for sure. She says they had Bob blinders on which is also something that Bob makes people wear in his dungeon. Possibly. Now it is up to the jury. Three days of deliberation. Three days. Again. Really surprising that it's that long. Wow. They find him guilty and Bob just shakes his head. Yeah. But the twists keep on coming just like a flogging that won't end. A year later, the judge gets a letter from Joe. It is an affidavit where he's saying, I went to Bob's house on my own that night because Bob hadn't paid me for some work. I broke in, Jane caught me, and I lost control. I killed her, and I can no longer live knowing that Bob is completely innocent. And our judge, Vonda, is like, what? Do I? What? Okay. Now, Bob is already appealing his case at this time, and this could be a total game changer. So the judge convenes a special hearing. She says to Joe, do you understand you took a plea agreement? You said Bob paid you to do this. And so did you lie? You're now in trouble for lying. What what's the truth? Yeah. And Joe does another 180. He says, I made up the version in the affidavit. I thought that it would get me less jail time. That can't be right, right? That doesn't make any sense. I feel like his cellmate was like, maybe this would get you more, like, 
something stupid. Yeah, it's very, very strange. He's already second degree murder, so he's already not serving life. Right. This is going to get you life or something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they can change things, but yeah. Side note, though, I did like the yellow jumpsuit that he was wearing. He looks like an extremely tall minion. Yes, he does. He says, no, what I said before, my original story, that was the truth. Bob paid me. Bob pulled a gun on me and made me do it in the garage. Everything I said. The judge believes him. She says he spoke the truth and it gave him the courage to be the master in that courtroom. Oh, oh, boy. We see you, Fonda. So she believes his story 100 percent. She denies Bob a new trial and he loses an appeal after that. In 2016, the lounge and the dungeon burned to the ground. So sad. That's all right. It's okay. The haunted ghosts of subs and doms still walk the ground there. I don't think anyone died there. I think they have to die. We don't know. We don't know. No, we don't know. I'm thinking of like in the 1800s, there was also a dungeon there. We don't know. It's always been a dungeon. It's always been a dungeon. Yeah. It's like the overlook. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then in 2020, Big Bob, Master Bob, Inmate Bob dies at the age of 62 in prison. That's so sad. No, it seemed weird. I was scared they were going to end the episode and then they didn't. Well, they want to make it about Jane. So brown hair reporter, it's so nice. Brown hair reporter says we can't forget about Jane in this. Oh, and then the judge, Vonda, says Jane is free now because Bob is gone. She can rest now and be the angel that she is. And I thought that was really nice. That's very sweet. Here's my big question. If Bob hadn't told the police, look at this guy, Joe, would it ever have come back to him? Would they ever have been able to prove that it was him? I don't know. There must have been something that made him desperate. And we don't know what it was. But the what they had to finally arrest him was Joe's word on it. And they never would have even looked at Joe or interviewed Joe if Bob hadn't told them who Joe was. I think that Bob was surprised that him saying the thing about that she smoked marijuana and then there were other murders happening in the area, the back page murders. Right, right. Where women were being left in the trunks of their car. So him like kind of referencing that, I think he thought that they were going to go on another journey with that Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, okay, this is the work of a serial killer that's already happening I think he was surprised that they continued to look at him and it scared him enough that he pulled in Joe because he was like, they're coming to me anyways. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to get out of this? He just he's not very bright. No. And he's never watched Dateline because they always look at the husband quite thoroughly. Yeah. Always. They always do that. Period. Yeah. Do you want to do outside info before we do our things or do you want to talk about another podcast? Yes, absolutely. Who are we promoting today? The Strange and Unexplained podcast with Daisy Egan. It is from executive producer Patrick Hines, who we love, and the Obsessed Network. This is about true stories that will fascinate and terrify you. The creepiest, weirdest things I was like, it just started, but already they have a bunch of episodes up and they sound really, really good. Just like weird, strange creepy, bizarre things. I love it. And it's written and hosted by Tony Award-winning actor Daisy Egan. So, My God. I know. More impressive than us. Check it out, guys. Do you believe in ghosts? How about Bigfoot? Do you think it's strange that a four-year-old in Oklahoma could look at a black and white picture of a man from the 1930s and say, that was me? 
before. Yeah, I think it's strange too. And fascinating. My name is Daisy Egan. I'm a Tony Award-winning actor, award-winning writer, and deeply curious, if skeptical, human. This spring, I'm teaming up with executive producer Patrick Hines and the Obsessed Network for a new podcast called Strange and Unexplained. I'll look at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, near-death experiences, the Bermuda Triangle, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. I'll be your guide on these journeys, but I'll also be like, show me the receipts. Find Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan wherever you get your podcasts. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm super in. All Love in. it. All in. All in all the time. All right. Outside information. A couple of things about Bob. So Bob was like not the upstanding citizen that he portrayed himself to be. And that's what I think started to come out too, besides just the BDSM stuff. It's just that that's what it's remembered for because it was shocking to people. So he had been sued 10 times by the city <laughs> for like doing paperwork wrong on his tenants, not completing stuff for his apartment buildings. He owned like 10 or 12 apartment buildings. And then he had 21 civil suits. Oh my God. And that's just in like a five-year period or that's so. That's insane. It's bad. I think like for not paying security deposit, stuff like that. I think he was kind of a jerk landlord. Yeah, I think so. Like a low-level slumlord. Yeah, kind of. And a lot of times on these datelines, it is the big man on campus, This the hometown hero. He was at all the fundraisers and in the rotary and all that stuff. They have bad deals. But with the city, that's not, that's crazy. And Jane was better than that. Jane was like a marketing exec and made a really good living and was, seemed like really smart and everyone loved her. I bet he didn't tell her about all this stuff. Well, you didn't really touch on it, but the defense attorney says that Jane absolutely knew about the sex stuff. I did say that. You did? Did I miss it? Sorry. The key, the key parties. Sorry, no, that she knew about the dungeon when the attorney is saying, no, Jane knew. Jane knew all about it. We don't really know what she knew. Her family says she didn't know anything, but they wouldn't, I don't feel like, would know what's going on inside their marriage. I see why the attorney went there because Jane's obviously very, very smart. Mm -hmm. She's a marketing executive. And I'm just thinking, even when he said, I'm going away for the weekend on a business trip, you know what your husband's business is. Does it require him to go to Portland? <laughs> right. Does it require him to leave town? Right. He owns apartments in town. But we've seen women who are smart in business and dumb in relationships. Not dumb, but blinded. We've seen people also just look the other way. And I think that's what was happening on a lot of this. Right. Just sort of like they know something's up, but they're not going to look into it too hard. Yeah. Because they, they want those things to remain secret. Yeah. So the other interesting thing was Janet, the third in who was supposed to move into the house. So she goes into kind of detail about what happened when he came to visit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say everything, but I will say that she said she had bruises for three months. Mm, my God. And this is the exchange she has with the judge. And the judge said, what about a safe word? Don't you have safe words? Why didn't you have a safe word? And she literally like throws up her hands and looks at the judge and says, because I'm an idiot. Oh, she was new. And it was the most like that moment where you're just like, ah, yeah, that was a stupid mistake. That's what I was telling you earlier that like, yeah, that's stupid. 
you needed to have that. You could tell she was mainly frustrated with herself. This was my mistake. And I cannot believe I got wrapped up with this guy. And you kind of felt for Janet. I do feel for Janet. And I'm really glad she used her instincts and was like, this is not, I I wish she would have used them sooner. But she didn't pursue it with him. She didn't go move across the country to be with him and Rachel. I hope she wouldn't have is the key. Remember, she dies right after he comes back from Portland. Jane dies. Right. So all this started. So there was not a chance for her to come because they never signed the papers on the new house or anything, right? That's all. It was too late. Well, the closing date was three days after Jane's death. Death. And he was pulled in. He was not arrested at that point. He was certainly a person of interest. He wasn't arrested, but he was certainly was sweating that and not sweating buying a new house. Yeah. But I think Rachel, when she heard about the wife, that was when she was like, he's still married. I've been asking him to see the divorce papers. So she probably wouldn't co-sign on the house at that point because she heard about the murder right away on the news. And she made a deadline for him. Well, that was before. There were a couple of deadlines. There was a deadline of the house closing. And then there was the deadline that Rachel was imposing of, if you don't have those divorce papers by this date, I'm done. Right. So I don't know. Which deadline were they talking about, do you think? Well, first they thought it was the Rachel deadline. And then they thought it was the house deadline. I think the house deadline was a much more tangible deadline because it's like paper and money and stuff like that. But I think it was probably both. It was the impending pressure. It was all hitting him. How are you going to get the divorce papers if she dies? Because that's all that Rachel wanted to see, right? Right. He's like, I'll just kill her instead. She'll be fine. She was fine when I told her that my wife died. And then I told her, just kidding, but we're divorced. And now you're going to try it again. Hey, she really is dead. She really is dead this time. Not a divorce. Not a divorce. Wow. So. And she was fine with it. So, yeah, it sounds like they their master dominant thing was not just when they were doing that type of behavior. It sounds like he held the upper hand in a lot of the relationship. A hundred percent. Yeah. Although she did say like there she did was able to make a deadline and he was doing everything he could to follow it. He was really into Rachel. Her? Her? Him? Hmm. Do you have B-roll Bonanza? Yeah. So much dungeon footage. Well, the thing that's funny about the dungeon footage is like it's fake. <laughs> the actual footage of the dungeon yeah. is gross. It's like you get tetanitis from touching anything. Yeah, absolutely. But tetanitis, is that the right thing? It's not, but I let it go because <laughs> I don't want to correct you. Well, so tetanus. There you go. What's tetanitis? So like meningitis and tendonitis? Tendonitis? It could be. It's tendonitis and tetanus. Tendonitis and tetanus. Come on. You get tetanus from just touching anything in there. But the shots we see are the most romantic. It is a Sarah McLaughlin music video. There's candles lit, soft lighting. It's super romantic. That's not what his dungeon looked like. Oh, Steve's furniture and appliance store gets so many exterior shots. Yeah, which I didn't know if that was good for business or not. They are on every corner outside of that store we see. 
for a long time, like lingering shots. Maybe they really like Steve and they want to give him a leg up. Steve's got a cute little dog. He had his lab in there. That was a cute dog. Great dog. Adorable dog when he's sitting in his office. And then they do a close-up shot of this gun tucked into his waistband at his desk. He's a serious businessman. He means serious business. Why does a furniture and appliance store guy need a gun at his desk? Just out. It's not even in a holster. I don't know if I have answers on that. Well, he's sitting down. Oh, so weird. And then we keep seeing the same photo of Jane where she has a really sunburned nose. And it reminded me of all my sunburns. And I felt bad for her because it's just very painful. Oh, yeah. So the detective at some point is in a garage. Did you notice that? Is he in their garage? He's looking at eight by 11s of the Mercedes and he's looking at these huge pictures and it, he seems to be in like a tool shed. So like remember in more recent episodes where they've had them in the, those warehouses with the big windows? Is it like that situation? But this was earlier in the show. I think it's got to be his garage. Yeah, maybe. It just seemed odd. Maybe he's married and his wife makes him do his workout in the garage. I didn't see any exercise equipment. Did you see any paint cans? Nope. Toolboxes? Yep. Yes, toolboxes. No paint cans. Yes, tool toolboxes, tools, things like that. Interesting. Like there could be a, a table with a saw on it. It was strange. Mm. Branson happy being on Dateline and are now associated with murder. I have one from Charles, our friend Charles on Twitter. And in life, we love him. McDonald's. Nothing satisfies a post-murder hunger craving like McDonald's. That's true. Sometimes like a Big Mac. Yeah. Those fries. You can smell those fries from so far away. So you're just killing someone and you smell the fries and you're like, just led to it like a siren song. Master Mac. <laughs> Gents takes terrible pictures. That's just a statement. I just need to put that out there. Every single picture that we see of him, he's fine if he's moving. But in pictures, he looks, I'm scared of him. He's a scary size for me. A few people online were trying to figure out what actor he looked like. Christopher Guest. That is not what they came up with. He looks like a giant version of Christopher Guest. Interesting. Blow up Corky. And that's what he looks like. And take away his neck. This was actually who they came up with, which I think is brilliant. Did they say Ron Perlman? 100%. They did? You got it. Chickadee. Just replace his face with Christopher Guest. And there you go. <laughs> but I think even the face is not bad. Oh, I didn't see that in the face at all. He had like a little like. There's something about Joe's eyes that just it's like, I don't know. It's something about all of his features. He's scary to me. And also his kind of like irrational bouts of anger. Like that was the other thing that I read from outside is like he has a real anger. Like he's been in and out of hospitals. He's not great. Which is. It's like kind of almost makes his affidavit story make sense. Like he did just snap on Jane because she caught him trying to break in. Yes, it does. It makes total sense. He was arrested multiple times for domestic stuff. And which is probably why he has those that custody stuff with his daughter. They said when he was in the hospital, he said he was going to kill his brother and take off every single one of his limbs, like really specific because he took his leather jacket. Oh my God. It's like stuff that's too violent. And then he, there was another time that his wife was home late or was coming home late. And he said, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill the whoever she's with. And then I'm going to kill myself. And he had like three guns. Like it was not good. I'm glad his daughter was taken away from him. 
But he was fighting for custody. I know. I also heard a prison phone call between him and his daughter, and it was sort of sad. He was like getting on her about her grades and stuff. And oh, he's like, you asked for help at school. You asked for and it just like kind of oh, hurt me. He I was not like, good at school. He needs help. He needs like mental help. Mm-hmm. He needs to be somewhere where he can get help and medication. Just period. And Bob just took advantage of all of that. Absolutely. He did. But I don't know what the real story is. It's somewhere between what he's saying I mean, all of his stories, I think, have a bit of truth, but I don't think any of them are 100 percent true. That's okay, But you do think Bob had something to do with it. Yes. 100 percent. Yeah. I think Bob set him up. Yeah. I think Bob put it in his head at the minimum. And I don't think that's what happened. I think Bob really actually set the whole thing up. But at the minimum, Bob put it in his head to do it. In our first episode, because it was on a different dateline, so they went on to more detail on certain stuff, There, they had a bunch of different plans of how to kill her first. And they were all stupid and bad. Yeah. Just really bad, like pushing her off a roof of the house, like with a ladder. Like really just not good stuff. At least that's what Joe says. Yeah. Mm-mm. Fashion police. Bob Sideburns. Thoughts? Oh, I'm anti. On him, at least. Okay. I'm anti-everything Bob. Also, someone put a close-up shot of their screen when he's in court, and they were like, I am not a fan of this HDTV, because you can see dandruff. You can see a pimple on his neck. He's just not an attractive man, inside and out. Yeah. That's all I will say about that. I think that's valid. I think that's fair. But who is attractive is Judge Vonda. That fur vest. Walking down the street in her faux fur vest. And then later, her second interview is a leather jacket. And I was like, okay, so you're just Mm. very cool. You're just very, very cool. What if she's doing it because of the leather, the bondage? No, I think she's just cool. She's tipping her hat to the famous case. I think she's a leather jacket girl. I like it. I'm into it. There is footage of her online berating a racist cop who like, beat a black man and like she's going after it she's stupendous yeah she's the mvp for me she's great but i'm sure you made one of your reporters mvp did you want to wrap up your competition who won yeah it's kind of a tie honestly what that's a cop out i i'm leaning towards blonde guy winchester but i that could just be personal preference i don't know in his delivery i really liked the brunette Okay, well, there that's different strokes for different folks. Yeah. That's what makes the world go around. I liked how excited he was. It brought me into it. He talked like a reporter, too. Like I feel like he orders eggs, like, talking like a reporter. He might. That could get entertaining or could get old fast. But probably was entertaining. No, I liked both of them. I really did. Titles? I have nothing that great. Do you have anything? A 360-degree rope spider web of lies. Oh, that's excellent. I tried to get something... Fake nose for trouble. Okay. I gotcha. My first flogging, a children's book. Oh, sweet Lord. But I think I did something like that similar in our first episode. I think I made it like a Judy Bloom book. But this I had in mind is like a children's book. Oh, I also had something else. Oh, I'm just going to steal the one I did from our old episode then. What? Extremely gross point. Oh, that's really good. Again, not kink shaming. It's all about Bob being gross. It's all about nobody wants to do this with Bob. Nobody should be doing this with Bob. Does that make sense? No matter what. That's the problem. Disco Dennis dabbles with the devil. In a dungeon. In a dungeon. In a dank dungeon. 
Disco Dennis dabbles with Dungeon Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. How about, I don't know why I got that. Moons over Bashara. Instead of Moons over Miami because he mooned him. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought Justice for Jane would have also been just a really good solid title. Solid title. how they ended the mm-hmm. episode. And then Gillette, the best a Bob can get. That's all I, that's all I. <laughs> That's her last name. Yeah, that's uh, Rachel's last name. Yeah. That's funny. Gillette, the best the Bob <laughs> can get. All right. But that's implying that she's better than Jane. And we don't think that. We think Jane was better than Rachel. If we were into comparing women, which we're not. No, we're not. I'm just making a clever title. Yeah, it's just a title. I don't think it is. What did Twitter say? Tell me. I'm very excited. So Cindy said, because everyone's just like, why do they give Dennis these stories like we always say? Cindy said, we act as if he isn't the one requesting the salacious assignments, Cindy. He's so perfect for this, though. He really is. Matter of fact, to the point, yeah. we're talking about dungeons. Have a seat, mom. We got to get through this. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Anna was very excited. My apartment made it onto B-roll, a dateline. More on that later. Wow. Yeah, stay tuned. Christina said, if Day Dateline has a problem with drinks and nibbles from last week, how are they ever going to cover this episode? Good luck, ladies. I would like some clarification in the future. When you say a day with Dateline, it implies that both of us took issue with nibbles. And I would, <laughs> like to, I would just like to point out. Just me. There was only one. Just me. Nibbles. They didn't say nipples. They no. said nibbles. Nibs. And I have, I'm okay with nibbles. <laughs> yeah. Anna, going back to this, because she is from there, she says, I've been to that bar. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Well, now you do. So you can't go back. It's gone. Oh, yeah. That's it's right. burned to the ground. Yora Lamb said, if it weren't Dennis, what Dateline correspondent would you want to narrate the BDSM episode? Please retweet. We need a significant sample here. And then she wrote, Date Dateline, can you please, you can read this on the show. Mankiewicz. Okay, so people, Keith got 58%. Keith would be great. Mank got 37%. Andrea, only 4%. I don't want to send Andrea into the dungeon. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I don't want Andrea interviewing Bob. Not to say she can't hold her own. She could, but we just don't want her tainted. Sorry, by Bob. I don't want Dennis tainted either, but I just feel like Bob would have been weird. Or well, with Andrea, yes, Absolutely. I think he treats women differently because I think he probably has some strange views on women, if I had to guess. Bob's personal hero is Harvey Weinstein. I'm just going to guess. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, except that Bob has passed away. But the comments in this poll were mostly that people didn't feel like Keith or Mank would be able to be as stoic as Dennis was. And so they started posting memes of Keith and Mank's hyper reactions to things that's great you know where dennis does the like it you know dennis is just smiling slight smile very polite and keith does a oh my and mank is like smirking his eyebrows off his head i don't think i could hear keith say bdsm i'm gonna be honest i feel like i can't hear it in my head when i think of his voice saying it but i can hear josh being like doing his records you know his voiceover recording bdsm BDSM, BDSM. <laughs> like, can't you hear him doing his different takes with his voice? I could hear Josh doing it. So Josh would have brought a different take to it, which equally is fun. Keith would not have handled it the same way. 
And we should say in the first Dateline, they have Dennis much closer to the dungeon. We see, I don't remember if we saw that shot. We didn't in this one. Well, we see him on the stairway outside the dungeon. I don't remember if we see him inside. No, he doesn't go. I don't think he ever goes in. We did, We saw him on the stairs in this episode. I looked for him. No, no. In the last episode, in the first episode. Now, I'm saying they took that out, I think. Oh, so this is why we keep making comments about Disco Dennis in the dungeon is because there's a scene of him leaning on leaning on the stairwell where he's going to pick up all the DNA samples that are maybe on that stairway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't like that. Anna says, so they just said that there was a key party in the town I grew up in. Now I'm rethinking the time my mom replaced the key holder on the wall with a bowl on the side table. Oh, you have to. You got to think about that stuff. Mimsy says, Master Bob's dungeon sounds like a discount chain. Doesn't it? What, like Ollie's Bargain House or whatever. Yeah, Master Bob. Yeah. Master Bob's tires, Master Bob's discount tires. Absolutely. It really does. I'm trying to think what they sell. Yeah, definitely. Like brake fluid. I don't know. Yeah, brake fluid. Nikki Presley, recap of tonight's episode. Big Bob, Master Bob, Defendant Bob, Inmate Bob, Dead Bob. Carly said, stop saying Master Bob. Yeah, it's kind of gross. It is. (laughs) Big Delane 78 said, Okay, about the guy not being able to explain BDSM to the judge. I don't know if you're going to let me keep this in. He said it's hard to explain. Yeah, you don't want that judge to know you like getting your... (laughs) I can't say it. Like getting your something in a what? Okay. Yeah, he said it's hard to explain. Yeah, you don't want that judge to know you like getting your stepped on. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, we can't keep it in, but amen to that. Yeah, because what's the next question? Well, what do you do in the dungeon? (laughs) Nothing. We play video games, play Mario Kart. Wait, maybe maybe we can keep it in, but bleep out the word. Adam, your call. <laughs> Did you say we like playing Mario Kart? Yeah, because what else is he going to say? Because that's the next logical. If he admits to knowing what it is. Yeah. He shouldn't have maybe come. He was maybe not a good witness. I th- think it's really brave, though, that they all did. But they had a choice. If you were too embarrassed... They had to be prepped by the prosecution that you're going to get asked specifics right, right. about BDSM and your community. Are you prepared to talk about it? Right. That guy was not prepared to talk about it. The whole BDSM community watched the trial and was like, we did not choose him as tribute to be our representative. Eric was supposed to stay home, but Eric showed up anyways. Yeah. He does not represent our community, he's not well-spoken. We have a much more well-spoken person who can tell you the ins and outs about BDSM. Christian, can you come in here? <laughs> You're going to be next up on the stand. You'll do a good job. Christian has a cape. Like, wafts in. I want Christian to be amazing. Yes. Mr. B says, who wants to be in a sex dungeon with him? Yeah, that's right. Mm-mm. That's the, because there are pictures. Mm-hmm. I think it's not about that, but still it's like, You get a bad vibe from him. It's not about looks. It's about vibe. And I get a weird vibe from him. Absolutely. And I feel like BDSM people probably have to have heightened instincts about people and judge people quickly if they're going to participate with people when they meet them at parties and stuff. And I'm surprised that more people didn't get a bad vibe from him. But I'm wondering if that's why you're exactly right, that Bob made sure that Rachel was there with him because he knew that 
she took the edge off. Whatever this edge was that he had, she would lessen it so that people would be more comfortable. Or maybe no one was comfortable around him, but they needed a space. He had the dungeon. But once he was a suspect, they were all flipping on him, like coming out of the woodworks to say, yeah, he's Master Bob. Well, because they were going to try to take the dungeon. Well, I just think they wouldn't have they would have been more loyal and not told on him if they had liked him more, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Bumblebeeb says, yeah, I can go the rest of my life having never seen a dungeon. Yeah. Unlike Lynn, who was like, well, I've never seen one. I want to. So let's do it. Caitlin says this dungeon isn't even aesthetically pleasing. Not anymore. No. no. Your lamb says, you know, he's got a sex dungeon because of those late 1800 sideburns. There we go. Mutton chops. <laughs> and then um, she said, vanity plates. You can't convince me he doesn't get around town by horseback. <laughs> Kaisler Sose said, we all know Bob's wearing nipple clamps under that sweater vest. Oh, God. <laughs> He's wearing this Mr. Rogers like sweater vest to look all prim and proper in court. And when he's talking to Dennis, we know what's going on underneath there. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You finally got to hear the Master Bob episode. Yes, we've been referencing it for so long. Yes, it's here. The time is now. Follow us on social media. We have a great time discussing all things like this. We're Date Dateline. And also check out our Patreon. We have like 30 bonus episodes at the $10 level, including one's like the original one of this. Yes, and some other real interesting cases. Yes, and also if you are on the Patreon and you are looking for this one, it aired in August of 2018. So you can look by that or search in your app. It's called Secrets in the Suburbs. Oh boy. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Be kind to each other. Extra kind. Be safe. Yes. The safe word this week is safe. Be (laughs) safe out there. Please, in every aspect of your life, just be safe. I love it. It's perfect. It's good. Wisdom from K&K. Bye. Bye. For all the times you stood by me. Sorry, every time you do that voice, that's the song I think is going to start playing. (laughs) It's Celine Dion for some reason, because she's always on those shows. What's his name? Novato? I'm I'm not going to get his name right. I just call him Mr. Hot Cop. Well, guess he did it.